Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Welcome to November, everyone. I am so excited it's turning into fall at this time of year in the United States. Way back over the summer, I spent a lot of time preparing for my maternity leave. Many of you know that I'm out this fall on maternity leave with our second child. So at the time of this recording, everything is prepped. It's August. I'm 35 weeks pregnant, and I'm putting the final touches on this series, and it's going to come out this winter. My goal has been to get about six months ahead on the podcast so that the podcast would be able to ship weekly while I was gone. But I didn't want to have to juggle the intensity of trying to schedule interviews and have calendar appointments and make sure that I was awake at a certain time when I had a six-week-old and then record an interview while there was a baby in my arms. I think that's just actually impossible. So I knew there were going to be a few things I might be able to do on maternity leave, a little bit of reading or a little bit of emailing or something like that. But recording a podcast was out of the question. So my gift to my future self and most of my preparation for this maternity leave has been recording so many interviews in advance. So I've got a series of interviews that I've already done. I spent all summer doing it with some pretty incredible guests that will be coming out over this upcoming winter. I get to interview Emily Oster, the author of Expecting Better, and Christine Coe and Asha Dornfest. They're from Minimalist Parenting and the Parent Hacks book and the Edit Your Life show. Kimberly Ann Johnson of Magamamas and her book, The Fourth Trimester. Vanessa Van Edwards joins us on the show. And we have Emily Williams from Think Creative Collective. And we also have Whitney Johnson from Harvard. And she runs an innovation fund. So this has been a really full and packed summer of interviews with outstanding, brilliant women and parents. All of that is coming down the line. Today, however, and for the month of November, I have a special treat that I'm so excited to bring your way. One of my longtime business besties and fellow like-minded mama, a dear friend of mine who I've now known for many, many years, I asked her if she would join me as a co-host to have a set of more casual conversations as friends that we record on the air. She interviews me, I interview her, and we devolve into a lot of giggles and a lot of jokes. And which always happens in our conversations. She's the kind of friend that I talk to weekly. And we always go beyond the hour that we have allotted for our weekly chat. And unless, of course, a baby starts crying or a nanny is early or late or daycare is closed or whatever the situation may be, we're texting back and forth and realizing like, ah, I'm not going to make it. But let's okay, let's chat. Okay, now. So my week is punctuated with text messages back and forth with her and then our weekly chat. And there was one week I had, I think I got two hours of sleep one night and I texted her and I was like, my brain may not work for this interview, but we went ahead and tried it. So you'll hear that come out and I may be a little bit punchy on that episode because my brain is a little squirrely on no sleep. We ended up doing a five-part series and we dive deep into topics like how to prepare for maternity leave. And for me, this experience with a second kid, what's working and what's not how we think about adult friendships, and how hard it can be to make friends as a parent, but how important it is. And Carrie is the best person to talk to about this because she was one of my first adult best friends. And I'm kind of astonished now that it's been seven or eight years that we've known each other and kept in touch. 
We talk about Carrie's background in fertility struggles, her pregnancy challenges, and her business, New Minimalism, and her philosophy about designing a life that matters. All of this is coming up, and what I want to do first today is take some time to introduce you to Carrie Fortin because she's so amazing and such a good friend of mine. We will be back in December with the interviews that I mentioned. But for now, please enjoy this series and feel free to email me and let me know what you think because I had so much fun putting this together. And every time I chat with Carrie, I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, we should record that or we should make that into an episode because this is an interesting conversation I think a lot more people would love to hear. So if that's true and you enjoy this series as much as we enjoyed making it, send me a note hello at startuppregnant.com. And we can invite her back for a future series once I'm back from maternity leave. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Before we jump into today's episode, I know that many of you know this year we have been running a nine-month mastermind for a small group of startup pregnant women. I wanted to tell you a little bit more about it and clue you in for how you can sign up for the next one if that's something you're interested in doing. We have a small group of women that are coming together to have deeper conversations around motherhood, pregnancy, fertility, entrepreneurship, business building, family, and all of the complexities and challenges that go into each of these things and trying to do them in overlapping ways. We will be kicking off the next round of the Mastermind in the spring of 2019. If you are interested in gathering with other women for open, honest, and deep conversations around what our lives actually look like, not hiding parts of them, not pretending that we're not pregnant, not pretending that it's easy, celebrating the great stuff, all of that, then head over to startuppregnant.com slash mastermind. You can get on the wait list for when the next round of applications open. And I have a free email series that walks through how I structure the mastermind, what a mastermind is, how it works, how much it costs. So you can learn more. I'm not going to keep these things from you. I will tell you all about how it works and exactly what we do. And then if it's the right fit for you, Sign up and apply and join and make your own masterminds because I so believe that there is power in women gathering together and having honest conversations where we witness each other in our lives, in our hopes, and in our struggles. The link is in the show notes if you are out walking around listening to this right now and you can't write it down. It's startuppregnant.com slash mastermind, and that will give you all of the information that hopefully you are looking for. Okay, let's get on to today's episode. So Carrie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sarah. I feel so honored. I know you've got a lot of brilliant women in your life. So I'm really glad to be sharing this space with you and having these conversations in this like very special pre-baby tender special time. Yeah. So we're recording all these episodes while I'm pregnant and then we're releasing them all while I'm on maternity leave. But basically at the height of all of the emotions, which has, I think <laughs> it's going to make for a great series. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to make for a really honest series. And I think <laughs> that is what people really want. You know, that's what I want. That's what I love to hear from people. And here you are too, getting ready for baby number two. So I am so excited to have this 
moment in time kind of frozen because, you know, at some point down the line, I hope to be in your shoes. So it'll be nice to hear what you're thinking and how you're planning now and then to hear from you afterwards about how it all goes. Oh, oh, yeah, it's coming up soon. Okay, so Carrie, I want to start with digging into telling people about you because we haven't done like a formal interview. We're going to have you on the show and talk about your story as one of the guests. You've been on my list since the day I started. I want to give people an overview about you and your background and where you're coming from before we get into the next episodes. So first, I'm going to start with my favorite question that I ask everyone. What time did you wake up today? And what was the first thing that you did? So that is a interestingly complicated question for me right now, <laughs> um, because my eight and a half month old daughter, we sleep trained her a couple months ago, and then we traveled. She had a couple of sicknesses. She was teething. And so we kind of got off the sleep training train. We're back on it. So in some ways, I woke up at six. That's when she woke up. But really, that was when I nursed her and then handed her off to my husband. So I could go back to sleep after doing some night training. So I think I officially woke up at like 8.20. But please don't get me wrong. That is a very disjointed, odd sort of night. But so when I woke up, I woke up because I heard my daughter crying, knowing it was time to nurse her again and get her down for her nap. And then once she was down, I got to, you know, do the sort of mom stuff of tidying, making coffee, drinking smoothie. Nothing exciting. I feel really boring <laughs> having to say that out loud. <laughs> you know, though, you make a really good point that one of the answers to this question could be, what time did I wake up first? Or what time did I wake up and continue to try to stay right. awake? <laughs> right. Right. I also like very successfully woke up when she was fussing at 3.30 and struggled to fall back asleep. But I'm not even going to count that one. I know. I woke up at 2.30 in the morning with leg cramps because I'm currently oh. in my third trimester. And the thing is, is sometimes I get so dehydrated because it's so hot in the summers in New York City that I have to go like drink a gallon of water. But then I'm peeing for the next two and a half hours in the middle of the night. So I don't even know at this point what sleep is, but I don't know if it's going to get any better anytime soon. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, that is the thing that people say to you. They're like, sleep while you can, which A, is not helpful. And B, I'm like, that's information you should have told my like 27-year-old self. Like once you're actually <laughs> pregnant, that's already gone. And then baby and then whatever. So no. So, I don't know. Or, or sleep when you can is different. It's the napping skill. It's that. So funny story related to that. I keep trying to think of things I can outsource because like you can't outsource pregnancy to someone else. <laughs> like there's some things that are very much like and I can't outsource birth to anyone else as disappointingly as I would wish at times. But so I do keep texting my husband things I can outsource. And today's question was, okay, so serious talk. If you're really totally sleep deprived, what are coping strategies? Do not answer with get more sleep. Go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, really seriously, because it's so patchy right now. And so far we have yoga nidra and fasting experiments. Although I don't think I can do fasting while I'm pregnant or newborning. But it's yeah. just one of those things where it's like, you research this because I don't have a brain. Go. And that's been kind of a fun little... Anyways, I'm already off on a tangent, which is how this whole series <laughs> is going to go. Carrie, I want to ask you about your background in something that I think is so cool. You are the co-founder of a company and the co-author of a book called New Minimalism. 
And I've known you throughout this journey of building this company and then bringing it to life and so many of the things that you've done. Can you talk about what new minimalism is and tell us about the company and the journey? That's one of those where it's like, well, how much time do you have? Because, you know, it's a seven year story that can be made into like a five minute sort of quippy version or the version that I think many of the women listening to this podcast know, which is in fits and starts and big spikes of success and long periods of self-doubt. But basically, new minimalism started, and I always forget this, my business partner, Kyle, reminds me of it, that it started as a blog that I wrote, I think in 2010, you know, just coming out of the Great Recession, I was doing the now sort of stereotypical late millennial thing, which was quitting my corporate job and finding myself in Northern California. But I was really hungry to leave this work experience coming through the recession, seeing people be laid off, just like the sort of torturous corporate environment I was miserable in. And so I thought to myself, okay, you know, if I was getting bare bones, how much money do I need to make? What do I have to do? What could I sort of scrape together to leave this job and to keep living my life in San Francisco where I was at the time? And I realized that if I cut back a lot on shopping, you know, like guilt group and rue la la were all the rage right then. So I feels like a different life, but I was way into that. If I cut back on shopping, if I, you know, sold some of these things that I had that I wasn't using, what might that look like in my life? You know, it would be a big trade-off, but in return, I would get to have a lot more control over my days. And when I met my business partner, Kyle, we were carpooling to a yoga retreat in Ojai. We had both finagled a way to get on this retreat for free. So we had that in common. But we were both coming from different sides. But at the point on this journey where we kind of said to each other, you know, it's like you're testing the waters at first talking about what I was doing, sort of this experiment and letting go. And then I kind of said casually, just, you know, wondering what you would think, that what I was most surprised about was that I thought it was going to be a huge sacrifice, this, you know, letting go and purging of things. And that in and of itself was such a tremendous reward. It caught me really off guard because no one in my life had really talked about that. And so I had turned to the internet where I saw a bunch of white guys living out of backpacks, you know, traveling the world. And while I found sort of the lightness and the freedom of their lives appealing, I'm someone who's really gets a lot of joy from being surrounded by beauty. You know, I like softness. I like adventure, but I also like stability. I was in a partnership at the time with, you know, my now husband and So I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to only own a certain number of things, but I did want to experience that freedom. And so Kyle had been coming at it from a place of sustainable design. So it was really interesting to see her lens in terms of the impact that, you know, all of our consumption has on the world and then much more creative ways we can design beautiful and rewarding spaces that aren't necessarily harmful and that aren't expensive we basically started testing this out on a bunch of friends, this idea like, okay, if this worked for both of us, what can we teach people or how could we help them in a day? Like, how could we help them get rid of some stuff? And then how could we help them redesign their space so it felt good? Because the other thing that was happening in minimalism was that people's homes looked like empty or off kilter or really spare after they'd 
decluttered and Mm, we thought, mm -hmm. right, like that doesn't feel any better, you know, so the stuff isn't there, but your home doesn't feel great. And instead, what if once people have done this big purging, we totally, you know, using what they already had shifted their space and, you know, hung different and beautiful things on their walls that they already had and loved. And then how would that feel? From the very beginning, I think we knew we were onto something special with this merging of our two interests and talents, you know, mine being the psychological process of letting go and hers being creatively designing spaces with what people already have. And so, yeah, you know, friends were into it. We, of course, in San Francisco had sort of the annual pilgrimage to and from Burning Man, which made (laughs) for a very unique set of customers and clients, you know, people who really had gone through something transformative and experimented with living with less and living sustainably. So like five of our first seven clients had just come back from Burning Man. It just so happened that we were starting in September and October. It grew from there. We started working with families, working with tech entrepreneurs, working with, you know, folks in their early 20s who have a bunch of roommates living in one of those railroad style Victorians and just found through all of that, that there's something really universal, at least in our culture around our relationship and attachments to stuff, which I find fascinating. And so it allowed for us to find certain things that we all have in common. It gave us tools to speak directly to people when we would, you know, hear their language and see their body language around stuff. And I think really importantly to me, you know, being in this sort of personal growth sphere, I loved that we had something really physical and tangible to leave people with. Because when we're right, like when we're talking about stuff, we're talking about much more complicated things. I could walk into someone's house and say, like, that's ugly, get rid of that or anything, but that's not helpful because what's happening there is like, this was a gift from my so and so, or, you know, this photo is a picture of me at my skinniest, or this is the dress that I wore on my first date. You know, we can look at stuff and just see stuff, but what the person who owns or has those things is is really processing something totally different, something much deeper in getting people to really think seriously and let go of their stuff. They're also getting really serious about releasing old relationships, releasing toxic habits, releasing ways that they think about themselves. You know, the whole scenario of having like three different closets for your different body weights and sizes pregnancy and postpartum accepted totally from all right, of that. Right. Um, I don't know. It was really beautiful. It was an honor to be let into people's homes where they're feeling vulnerable to touch all of their most personal stuff, to help them process that. And then to leave them at the end of the day may probably pretty worn out, but psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, and then their space looking just like lighter and brand new. Mm. This is just occurring to me now as we're in our, you know, hundredth conversation, hundred thousandth (laughs) conversation with each other, which is hysterical to me. But I think this is one of the reasons why we get along so well, because we both have this lens of you don't have to do things the way they've always been done. And they've just manifested in our lives in different ways of asking these questions like, well, why does it have to be this way? And what are we afraid of? And what's the deeper layer here? Especially I love like 
in the time that you spent looking at things and objects and stuff, but knowing that it was so much deeper than that, it was people and relationships and fears and insecurities and building a business across all of that. Like, how does this work? What do we leave people with? What was it like building as a service-based business, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was at once, it felt very risky because as a service-based business, we're asking people to invest a lot of time and money into us because, you know, it's only so scalable. <laughs> then also not risky at all because before we started outsourcing things to technology, we outsourced them to people. You know, we've had cleaning people and babysitters and people to help us move. And so there is sort of a comfort and a mindset that certain people have. And then, you know, we were also in the right place at the right time, which can't be underestimated. You know, we were in San Francisco just as the housing market was, the housing market never dipped that significantly during the recession, but the recession made people view their money and their stuff differently. We're sort of out of that, like everything's on the up and up. We're all going to have money forever to like, okay, if something like this happens again, what do we value? What is really important? And then, you know, if you're in a $3,000 one bedroom or $4,500 two bedroom, and your option is to either spend $6,500 a month and go up to a three bedroom or to get really serious about cleaning out your closets so you can like make room for your kid in the other room, it's a worthwhile investment. So in that sense, it was, I don't know, it felt safe. And then the thing about a service-based business is I really like being with people. I like having those conversations and I liked doing it in person to a certain extent. It was tiring. There's a lot of logistics. There's a lot of ramping up. But then when we were actually there with people in their homes, it was awesome. And, mm-hmm. you know, love doing it. You have done so many things in your life. And I don't even know how long we've known each other now. Seven years? I don't, I'm just like pulling a number out of thin air. I think like 2010 or 11, like sometime around then. (laughs) You and I don't know. We're like, ish. (laughs) But it's been so magical to watch someone build a business. And I remember like you were one of the first people I learned from that not all marketing has to look the same. You had so many clients that left you Yelp reviews that were so positive Mm. that you just kept getting inquiries. I was like, oh, right. You don't have to do everything. You just have to find the thing that works. And it might be having high quality Yelp reviews in this specific location in this specific area. And then writing a book and moving from San Francisco to Boise and (sighs) having kids. I mean... I'm kind of pushing fast forward on some of these narratives because (laughs) we were joking before we started, everyone listening, that we were going to do a short interview. I'm using air quotes, short, because Carrie and I could talk for hours and hours and hours. Can you tell us a little bit about your parenting journey? Yeah. And I think the nice part about that, right? Like there are, in theory, all these separate journeys. And of course, they all happen at once. And my parenting journey really did influence the move, work, all of the above in the sense that that journey was complicated and challenging and forced, you know, my husband and I to really reevaluate certain things in our lives. So a couple years ago, what I now am pretty sure was a chemical pregnancy, you know, had sort of the funky boob feeling, had a 
period a couple days late was like pretty sure for the first time in my life that I was pregnant. I got my period like five days late, but I had told, you know, my partner that I thought I was pregnant. And while we were both a little worried, once we found out we weren't pregnant, I think we both realized we were sad about that or disappointed, which caught us off guard because we'd been married for several years and had, I mean, we knew we wanted a family, but we hadn't talked about like when or how are we going to do this? Or like, this is our ideal timing. We didn't really have that in place. But after that chemical pregnancy, we decided we're as ready as I guess we'll ever be. After that, I got pregnant again. And for real, I guess I should say that time. And that pregnancy was the single hardest period of my life. I was really, really, really sick. You know, I'm not a germaphobe, but I'm really not into like gross and dirty things, which maybe explains some of my work. But at a time when I think I was six weeks pregnant, I was laying on the floor of a client's not very clean bathroom, just pressing my face to the tiles because I was just so sick. And I feel like that snapshot for anyone who, you know, sort of like me, or I guess just anyone, like no one wants to put their face on someone else's bathroom floor. That just shows how sick you are. Yeah. And so I was really just that sick for a while and ended up getting a really painful diagnosis on the baby and ended up losing that pregnancy. So it was excruciating. You know, I think a part that people don't consider when we talk about pregnancy loss is, you know, even if it's just a couple of days, a couple of weeks, whatever, there's this part of your brain that starts traveling down this path of what the future is going to look like. And so I had in my mind, you know, the baby will be born in October. How great. Maybe there'll be a Libra like me, you know, and this is what we'll do for childcare. And we actually ended up leaving our rent control department in San Francisco and finding a rental just over the Golden Gate Bridge in Marin. And so we had made all of these changes in our lives, not to mention just like the big psychological shift of we're going to be parents. This is our family. Like this is what we're doing. And so to have all of that change suddenly and painfully, it forced us, I don't know, just to consider what we valued and what was important to us and what it was that we wanted. You know, it made me incredibly sad and more than a little bit depressed, but it also, I think, gave us this really great window where we started thinking really practically about what it would look like to have a family in the Bay Area. And I think neither of us were willing to admit it at the time, but it felt somewhat untenable to this idea. My work days are long. We were both going to be commuting into the city. We were looking at needing childcare for like 60 hours a week or to have it be flexible or to have all these things. And we had no family around. And we just all of a sudden thought to ourselves like, wow, this feels if not impossible, challenging in a way that doesn't feel good to either of us. A part of it also is that we were in this rental house with a room for a baby that we weren't having. And there was a part of me that just couldn't be there. Like I just could not stand being in that house or that place for a moment longer, even though it's pretty much like my favorite geographic location in the world. I just like my skin crawled when we were there. And my husband's family has a lot of roots out here in Idaho. We had visited a couple times. His parents retired and moved back out here. And I don't know, we met 
just right amount of people. We were here during Pride Weekend and saw a lot of young, progressive, involved folks, which made me think, wow, like there could be a community for us here. But I think at the end of the day, it was more this like desperate desire to leave the situation we were in than it was to be here. We got pregnant shortly after moving to Boise and I let myself think that that had kind of fixed everything for us and then went in to the doctor at the eight-week appointment and there wasn't a heartbeat. And that just threw me. It was this feeling of like, okay, I had trusted again. I had believed it was going to work out again. I wore mascara to the appointment, which to me was like (laughs) tempting the fates. It's like saying like, of course I won't cry. Of course everything's going to be okay. Even though the ultrasound I'd been in previously had been excruciating. And so when that happened... I think that was kind of my like very dark, dark night of the soul, being in a new place in the winter, again, in a home where we had made and, you know, decisions we had made in advance of having a family. Praise the sweet Lord that we had adopted this amazing dog named Bodhi, who basically just like laid on me and followed me around while I cried all winter long. And luckily, I got great therapy, met some really good people spent months and months sort of crawling out of that, but became a person I am really happy with. And I understand the evolution that I am going through, that we're all going through is unending, but I just feel, I don't know, good about the skin that I'm in these days. And not so long after we got pregnant again, and this time with my daughter, who is now almost nine months old. Oh, Carrie, I we have talked about these things at length in so many different iterations in hot tubs mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. on phone calls and in like delayed voice messages back and forth to each other and still hearing you talk about it. Like my body responds in so many different ways to you. Just like sadness in my gut and hopefulness and relief and fear like and then the thing is this is so many women out there and fathers and co-parents going through these experiences and we're barely scratching the surface about talking about them it's so hard too because you say you've changed now i want to ask you more about that (laughs) right we would never wish these things upon ourselves but then they like give us these things or we are transformed because how can we not be right Can you touch on that a little bit? How have you emerged or shifted? What's changed in your life or yourself? Yeah, well, you know, part two. So after I lost the second pregnancy here in Idaho, I decided I would like make the most of it and take skiing lessons. I grew up in the Midwest, so I never grew up doing this, but I had learned how to snowboard in my 20s. On like my third ski lesson, I broke my leg. In hindsight, It was, you know, the universe, whomever, (laughs) just saying like, you have to stop and you have to deal with this. Like you can't keep pushing it away. You can't keep avoiding it. You can't move away from it. You can't yoga your way through it. You just have to feel this and be in it and go through it in order to come out the other side. And I felt like only once all of my techniques of avoidance had been sort of pulled from me, did I really sit down and face it. And what I had to face was all kinds of things, you know, 
if someone had seen my bookshelf at that time, I don't know what they would have thought about me, but that I was some sort of like occult feminist person on a journey. But basically, I read every memoir I could possibly get my hands on of a woman talking about going through a deeply painful experience in which they reevaluated what it meant to be a woman, to be a mother, to be a good, you know, feminine energy in the first pregnancy. And there is a lot there that we are not talking about that, of course, you know about, but is maybe a topic for a later date. It really forced me to get into all of those things, which I had never evaluated. Like, what does it mean to be a parent? What does it mean to be a good parent? What types of selflessness or selfishness do we need in our lives? How am I willing to let the fear I have of other people's potential judgment of me control me or not? And, you know, how does the way I was raised in my family culturally, you know, here in the United States, what does all that look like? And what are all these hidden things like we were talking about earlier? Like, what are all these things that I have never questioned that I just view as absolutes that are actually really painful to me? And am I willing to look at them and let go of them? I think what's come through it is my ability to have honest and meaningful conversations around hard things, which I had never been able to do again. I had been so afraid of not being liked. And I viewed the way that I would be liked was through being kind or giving up myself in order to serve others. And in reality, so much of that was just my own story. But just this ability I have now to talk about and stand in things that are complicated or confusing or hard and my willingness to choose myself over other people and how in choosing myself, other people tend to choose me also. You know, like instead of saying, no, I can't go to dinner, saying like, well, a million other things so that they would finally say, okay, how about we reschedule, which is just annoying, <laughs> you know? Hmm. <laughs> And that's a very small version of what I'm talking about. But just, I don't know, getting comfortable with boundaries, understanding that when my intentions are kind and in the right place, it's not up to me to control how people respond to or react to me. It's just up to me to come from the place that I want to come from. Now I want to start and launch into like one of our long, juicy conversations because we would, we would talk for hours. <laughs> um, but that's what this whole month is about, where I'm going to get to have Carrie on the show and we get to chat about some really cool stuff. She is going to do some interviews of me to talk about how I'm prepping for maternity leave, the good, the bad, the smart, the ugly, like all of it. <laughs> and I'm sure we're going to go in so many different directions, but like friendship and why that's so important and how to support people throughout maternity leave. And I'm sure we'll go on many other tangents. But before we wrap up this episode, I just want to, I'll have you start. Can you talk about our friendship and mm -hmm. how like, and I'm, you can hear I'm like stumbling over my words, but like <laughs> Carrie shows up in my life so many different ways. What I really want to do is be able to pull some of the conversations we have and put them on the podcast. Because every time I talk to you, Carrie, I'm like, oh, we should do an episode on that. We should do an episode mm -hmm. on that. We should do an episode. <laughs> That's like always at the end. So can you share a little bit about like how you and I have known each other over these years and like the depth of some of our conversations? 
Yes. So I am now remembering, I'm pretty sure we were 26 when we met each other because our mutual friend, yeah, babies, (laughs) Susanna was like, huh, you know, I know someone who's your age and who swam in college and you should be friends. And Susanna is one of those people who I say has like a hotline to the universe and an incredible intuition. I am like, whatever Susanna says, I will follow. She knows what's up. So I think the first time we met, we were walking on Chrissy Field out to the Golden Gate Bridge. And I just remember thinking to myself, wow, I am not this person's intellectual equal. Like she is brilliant and amazing. I kind of have a crush on her. I hope we can be friends. And I think we ran into each other a couple of times while you were still in San Francisco. But then not too long after you ended up moving to New York. And in one of the great fortunate moments. We reconnected before you led a workshop in Lake Tahoe. And I was there. Yeah. And I was in between. I had come through that first pregnancy. And at the time, I didn't realize it, but I was like two days pregnant with that second pregnancy that I would eventually go on to miscarry. But I was in such a vulnerable state. And it felt like this gathering of women like couldn't have come at a better time. And I just found such a safe, judgment-free, but also deeply thoughtful conversation partner in you. I found that we were talking about, you know, all of the messy things, (laughs) sex and DNCs and, you know, what it was that we aspired to be in life and the patriarchy and feminism and feminine energy and just all of those things. And I just feel like in that moment, I had said I had been in such deep need of good female friends. And I'm so great that we reemerged in each other's lives then. And that was now several years ago. And I find, you know, we spent another year sort of bouncing in and out of each other's lives at important moments. And then something just really solidified I think maybe, you know, you were starting this project, you had your sweet kiddo, I was pregnant with mine, and you had so much advice to offer. And then you also had the language that you've firmed out here of, you know, in my experience, and there was just so much space for me to get guidance from you. And then also for us to have a conversation where I didn't feel like you were trying to control my experience, you were just trying to share and also learn. And there's something so important and freeing about going through big changes in life with a couple of really amazing women at your side. And you have been that person for me through this journey, you know, I feel like not all times or years in our lives are created equal. Some take up a lot more space than others. And these past couple have taken up a ton of space in mine, and you've played a huge role through that. So that's my interpretation of our friendship. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, now we're going to just start crying on the podcast. <laughs> I, what's coming up for me is that I don't think I had good female friendships until my late 20s, mid to late 20s. And like, there's a piece of me that wants to say for anybody listening, I think orgasms and female friendships and relationships in general, they can all be stunningly amazing. And it took me 30 years to figure it out. And I may come back a decade from now and be like, but wait, it gets better. Yeah. And, like, and it's hard. 
for me, it took a really long time to figure out how to find people that I got along with and that wanted to think the way I thought and be inquisitive. And it is one of the biggest blessings of my life to have deep female friendships. I think sometimes from the outside, people looking in who don't have that in their lives at any moment in time, and they wax and they wane, like it comes and it goes, and then you move and then you have to develop new ones. I am remembering distinctly feeling very envious and a little bit bitter when I saw other people who had best friends and I didn't. And I was really sad. And so the fact that you came along in my life in a time when I was open to wanting to be so much better friends and deeper friends with people. And it was intentional, but also exploratory. Like, why not? And that convening in Tahoe, there was like six or seven of us in Tahoe. We went to this beautiful house by the water. Like water is something so nourishing for me. The deep blue of that place is magical. I remember being like, I just want to be around thoughtful people that are so generous and so gentle at the same time and so smart and intelligent, but like also humble, just this group of people. And I remember, I think every one of us cried a lot that weekend, (laughs) like a whole lot, a lot, because we all have such depth of things that we were dealing with that were so challenging and hard. I think I was pumping like, (laughs) yeah, you sure were. You taught me the wonders of using a hand pump underneath a backwards jacket, which I've now done at many (laughs) weddings. So yes, I distinctly remember Leo was six months old because that was your first like real sort of big extended trip away from him. Yeah. And I brought him, I brought him with me to California. Yeah. Yeah, He was with family in California. Yeah. Left him with my sister down in the Bay Area. And then we drove up for hours. I remember at the end too, I was like, I just have to go straight home to see my child. Like yeah. I was going to drop you all off in San Francisco. And then I totally, it's kind of like a jerk. I was like, we're not going there. You can take the train. Got to get to this <laughs> child. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> or just expressing my needs. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> like with the gas pedal. And it has been such a light. And like every time we talk, we get to go back and forth about sharing information that I wish was so much more open. And just last week, you and I were having this conversation, or maybe it was two days ago, and I don't even know what a week is anymore because (laughs) I'm so sleep deprived. We were having a conversation about sex and recovery times and the pace of it and talking to your partner. And I was like, oh, yeah, get this thing called replens, right? And I was like, this vaginal moisturizer. And the sidetrack in my head was saying, Oh, I want this to be public. I want somebody to be able to eavesdrop on this because like no one should have the postpartum menopausal like symptoms of pain. It's in the drugstore. They should just hand it to you when you walk out of the hospital. Like, but we don't really care about women's vaginas. We just care about the babies that come out of them and the penises that go in them. But anyways, (laughs) (laughs) like, like everything else is like, oh, vaginas, hide that. Um, So, so on that note, everyone, I am so excited to welcome one of my dearest, dearest friends, Carrie, to be a co-host with me for the next couple of episodes. Our goal is to do as many episodes as we can. We don't know how many it's going to be. And then we're going to come back to regular interviews for a while while I'm on maternity leave. And leave a note in the comments or send me an email. You know the email address for Startup Pregnant. It's hello at startuppregnant.com. Let's me know what you think of these series, because it's a little bit different than things we've been doing to date on the show. And it's going to involve way more giggles, probably a lot of tears. And what's another phrase than brutal honesty, Carrie? Just like regular, like open? (laughs) It doesn't have to be brutal. (laughs) Yeah. Just, you know, deep. 
deep honesty because that's what we're getting at is like not just like ooh your hair looks okay but like <laughs> ooh why do we value only the way that women look and why can't I have a bad hair day and why do we even have to talk about it so whatever oh, that yeah. is that's what we're gonna do oh yeah all my hair is gonna fall out in a month anyway right oh Cause... yeah well mine's all growing back <laughs> in like a little halo above my head so oh yeah the peach fuzz <laughs> <laughs> peach fuzz coming out of like my widow's peaks and my sideburns <laughs> Yeah. You know, this is the stuff that people don't tell you, and I'm glad they don't because some <laughs> things like I'm at the phase where I just don't care. But had you said right. when I was eight months pregnant, and here's one more thing to look forward to, then I would have been sad. So, you it's know, everyone can discover some things on their own. It's true. The podcast is nice because you meter it out like a little tidbit at a time. You learn, like, yes. one, and you're like, okay, I can absorb this. My husband, Alex, he's like, huh, there's like a dead chihuahua in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> After I would shower postpartum because, like, your hair just falls out. Um, All of it. Oh, yeah. So if you didn't know that, pregnant women listening to this show, that's a thing. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. And Google it only if you have to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Carrie, I'll talk to you soon. I can't wait. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.